There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Yeah, we're gonna be a movie starring everybody and me. There'll be heroes bold, there'll be comedy, and a lot of fuss that ends for us real happily. We can watch it all develop starring everybody and me. We'll take the world and set it on its ear. Come on, join in. We're gonna start right here. And we are going to start right here. Hello, you are listening to a Radiligion Broadcasting Premier Podcast Triple Feature. And I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Radilage. And tonight, folks, it's the end of June. We are concluding our survey of queer cinema in celebration of Pride Month, LGBTQI, and all the other letters that weren't included. I am, of course, joined by the super ally, the Ayatollah of Rock and Rolla, Sean Coma. Woo! Hello, y'all. How you doing? Cheers, Sean. Mm. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. All right, let's get drunk and talk queer cinema. What you got? A twisted tea there? Yeah, I got a twisted tea. Hey, uh, not choice. a sponsor of this show, by the way. Good choice. Unfiltered Boulevard wheat for me and a uh, a Diet Dr. Pepper on the side. Hey, Sean, take my hand mm. and let's walk over the Remembration Bridge. Let's 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 eat some member berries. Remember men? Remember men? You and I were talking and we didn't have a podcast, but you did a thing with Jeremy Lambert and we were talking nude nuns with big guns. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember. Oh, I remember the nude nuns with the big guns. I can't remember. Did you and Jeremy talk about that, or was that just me and you bullshitting? We did. That was a movie that I recommended to him that he loved about a thousand times more than I ever anticipated he would. Hi, Melissa. (laughs) Um, And uh, (laughs) sorry, every time somebody says hi, Natalia, uh, on the Metal Hammer of Doom, we purr. So it was like, hi, Melissa. Um, (laughs) Anyway, and and now and now he's gone on to such to such lofty big to such big things at fightful that i wonder if he even remembers that big time jeremy lambert but yes good you got you guys talk big new nuns with big guns Mm -hmm. and i piqued an interest for me big guns obviously but of course i and i told you at that time low those many years ago that one of my favorite exploitations is nunsploitation I love mm-hmm. a good Italian mm-hmm. nunsploitation film. People listening to this going, what the hell is nunsploitation? Think blaxploitation, but nuns. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Big, big in Italian cinema. And I used to watch a whole bunch of that shit, like the something weird videos and all of that, where you would find mm-hmm. a lot of those films. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to our collection here of fine quality, award-winning, acclaimed queer cinema. In Benedetta, Brokeback Mountain, and my private Idaho, I specifically wanted to do Benedetta. One, because I had heard from critics that I take seriously that mm. um, that Benedetta was one of the best movies of last year. Uh, do I have even the year right on that? 2021. Yeah. Yeah, 2021. Um, I heard it was one of the better movies of 2021 by critics that I take seriously. So I was like, okay, this is something I want to talk about when mm. looking at what's the best in queer cinema right now. But also, naughty nuns. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so my question to you before we jump into Benedetta as our first movie, mm-hmm. uh, 
had you heard about it? Did you know what it was when I pitched it? Not really. Not really. Okay. I had uh, I, I had never heard of it. Um, when I when I looked up what the premise was, I was decidedly interested in it because it was certain it was certainly topical for this month. Mm-hmm. But sure. um, there was this there's this one thing that I neglected to take into consideration. I'm not a big fan of period movies. Interesting. I thought you were going to say I'm not a big fan of French film because that was because I'm watching this in my bedroom and you just have to understand I'm old now and Mm. I can't see shit. And Mm. so when I when I see the closed caption on the TV, I have to be wearing my pee. I got to be wearing my cheaters because I'm old. Right. I got to wear my cheaters. So I go to put the movie on and I'm I'm in bed and I'm watching this, this lovely movie about a lesbian nuns like you do for family entertainment. And I and I'm like, oh, it's in French. And I'm like, okay, well, it won't be in French forever. And I look it up. I'm like, nope, yeah. this wasn't exactly a French movie. But I want to, and I want to <clears throat> bring this up really quickly before I get into the, the, um, the specifics of the movie and we can start talking about it. From acclaimed director of RoboCop, Paul, <laughs> fucking, uh, yeah, Paul Verhoeven. Boy, because just like Roland Emmerich and Stonewall. When you think queer cinema and having a deft hand at talking about uh, forbidden lesbian love in the convent, you go to the guy who directed fucking RoboCop. Well, now now wait a minute, because we're following this movie up with a queer masterpiece made by the guy who first kind of owed the comic world an apology for Hulk. <laughs> yeah, I know. This so... is a weird podcast, man. <laughs> <laughs> Look, directors who done fucked up and then made good <laughs> with queer cinema. It's it's, it's a, yeah. a roller coaster ride and a half. But yeah, yeah I yeah. all of your podcasts are weird. Thank you, sir. <laughs> hey Jonas. Jonas with a run-in. <laughs> Anywho, all right. So let's get into it. Um Benedetta, oh, 20, 2021 biographical. Like a, fucking, like a fucking classic ECW pay-per-view. Oh, yeah, no, no. I'm waiting for Nova to run in, hit me with a chair. <laughs> gonna, you know, New Jack's gonna hit me with a vacuum. It's all it's all hardcore. I was gonna I was gonna I was gonna say I'm you're all of a sudden gonna be drowned out by natural born killers. <laughs> I hope. And, and along is and along is going to come like fucking <laughs> Lily with a staple gun. <laughs> You know, after a lot of the shit my daughter has seen recently, uh, hitting me with a staple gun would not be out of line. So, <laughs> I, I believe she's got one at the ready. Benedetta, uh, a 2021 biographical psychological drama film directed mm-hmm. and co-written by Paul Verhoeven. Yes, of RoboCop fame, but also, get this, ladies and germs, uh... Basic Instinct, which we talked about at the top of the month, Total Recall, starring your friend and mine, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and really the high point of his career, Sean, a a movie Mm. that we have yet to talk about, well, one that I do, an art piece of the highest order, Showgirls. So, um, and of course, Starship Trooper. Among Unbelie- unbelievable. Ten, yeah, right? years and, ten years and we have never talked about Showgirls. Uh, Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey and I um, have a bet going about Black Adam. If it makes X plus, we, I have to make him talk about Showgirls, uh, Hustler, and I think some other movie that involves tits. And, um, <laughs> and, if, and if, it makes, if it makes X minus then he has to make me watch some sort of childish bullshit that he likes. So 
We'll see what happens. I'm I'm pulling for tits like I always do. Anyway, speaking of tits, Benedetta, um, co-written by uh, Paul Verhoeven, starring Virgin Afira uh, as Benedetta Carlini, a novice nun in the 17th century who joins an Italian convent and has a lesbian love affair with another nun. The film is loosely based on the 1986 nonfiction book Immodest Acts, The Life of a Lesbian Nun in Renaissance Italy by Judith C. Mm -hmm. Brown and brings back most of the key crew from Verhoeven's previous film, L, including producer Saeed Ben Saeed, writer David Burke, composer Anne Dudley, and editor Job Taborg. Uh, the film premiered at the 2021 Cannes Film Festival and competed for the Palme d'Euh. All right, so it goes a little something like this. In the 17th century Italy, young Benedetta Carlini is being taken to the convent in the town of Pescia to become a nun. And they stop at a roadside altar to pray a group of bandits arrive and attempt to steal Benedetta's mother's necklace. The devout Benedetta warns them that she speaks with the Virgin Mary like you do, who will punish them. Uh, a likely story. When a bird, which Benedetta had identified as a sign that Mary had heard her, defecates in the bandit leader's eye. Thank you, Paul Verhoeven. You're a treasure. He gives back the necklace. In Pesha, Benedetta is taken into the convent run by Abbess uh, Felicita. Years later, Benedetta is a grown woman and a devout nun. During a play in which Benedetta is playing the Virgin Mary, she has a vision of Jesus calling to her. A young woman named Bartolomea seeks shelter in the convent from her abusive father. Benedetta is assigned to oversee the integration of the poor and uneducated Bartolomea in the, to the life of the convent. Bartolomea, Lema, yeah, Bartholomew tells Benedetta that she was sexually abused by her father and brothers. That night, Bartolomea kisses Benedetta. Benedetta warns Bartolomea to be wary. Take a drink every time I say Bartolomea. By the wary of the abbess and her daughter, Sister Christina. Benedetta begins to have visions of Jesus, calling her to join him and saving her from dangers. And this is where the this is the best part of the movie, by the way. <laughs> After a particularly fraught vision where a man who she mistakes for Jesus saves her from being gang raped. Knew it. Knew you were going to bring that one up. <laughs> Damn you, Paul Verhoeven, and your gang rapiness. Best uh, <laughs> Jesus ever. Jesus and I see Jesus Christ vampire hunter. <laughs> Jesus as avenging superhero is the best. Um, anywho. <laughs> uh, Benedetta falls into a deep illness like you would Abbess Felicita assigns Bartolomea to look after her Benedetta begins to recover and starts teaching the illiterate Bartolomea to read and write Benedetta has a vision of Christ on the cross he tells her to undress herself and him and then, and, and then touch his hands the next morning Benedetta wakes up with stigmata I'll tell you nothing but lies on her hands and feet an investigation ensues Abyss Abbess Felicita is skeptical because previous incidents of the stigmata have always occurred during prayer and Benedetta was asleep. Benedetta also lacks the head wounds formed by the crown of thorns. After leaving Felicita's chambers, Benedetta collapses. As people rush to check on her, she begins speaking in a male voice, castigating those who do not believe in her. She has now, been bleeding, she has now has bleeding wounds on her forehead. Sister Christina notices a shard of broken glass on the floor and tells her mother that she believes that Benedetta inflicted the wounds herself. Felicita warns her that the male power structure has decided to verify Benedetta Stigmata as a legitimate miracle for political purposes. Benedetta is elevated to uh, Abbess in the place of Felicita. Christina speaks out against this, but is warned by her mother that going against this decision could destroy her. It's the longest plot synopsis ever. 
Benedetta and Bartolomea moved are moved into Felita's old quarters and begin having sex. Bartolomea carves a sex toy for Benedetta using one end of a small wooden statue of the Virgin Mary, like you do, which Benedetta had brought with her to the convent as a child. Because oh, who hasn't? Yeah. Because Sean Calmer, as I live and breathe, hasn't used a toy as some sort of sex device. You know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> I shall confirm nor deny. That's a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Um, nah, 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 nah. Uh, Christina goes to the priest and shares her belief that Benedetta faked her stigmata. She lies and says that she saw Benedetta inflict her head injuries. At mealtime the next day, the priest makes Christina say her accusations publicly. When called on the back of her daughter's claim, Felicita refuses to lie and says that Christina do not directly witness what happened. Did not directly witness what happened. Benedetta, apparently possessed with the spirit of Jesus, orders Christina to flagellate herself like you do. You ever have a good flagellation, Sean? You ever just fuck up? Fuck up with your best friend, fuck up with your spouse, fuck up with your second spouse, and you just got to flagellate, flagellate yourself in the corner? I have. How about you, Sean? You ever flagellate yourself? You know what? Did that just the other night after I got back from karaoke. It was, <laughs> it was just the ideal nightcap. You, just get, uh, you can't go to, like Bill Cosby's kid said, you just can't go to sleep without a good flagellation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> too much fun with the plot synopsis. All right. Da, 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 da. Um, Felicita observes Benedetta and Bartolomea having sex through a peephole in their chambers. A comet passes over the abbey because, of course, it does, many, which many interpret as a sign of impending tragedy. As it passes, Christina flings herself from the abbey roof. <laughs> Yeet. As she dies, Benedetta asks her to intercede with God on behalf of her soul, but an angry Fel uh, Felicita tells her to stay away as a plague begins to ravage the countryside because this was the only thing this movie was fucking missing well, you know was yeah. a plague benedetta has a vision that pesha will be spared and orders the abbey closed to prevent infection uh felicita slips out and travels to meet with a local nuncio from ecw fame sharing what she knows about benedetta's sexual indiscretions uh felicita returns to the abbey we're halfway through this Felicita returns to the Abbey with Nuncio as the plague worsens. Entering the Abbey, they discover that Benedetta has died of unknown causes. As the Nuncio attempts to administer the last rites, Benedetta awakens, saying that she was in heaven and has seen the fates of all those present. The Nuncio has his men search the Abbey for the wooden sex toy, but they cannot find it. He opens a court of inquiry into Benedetta's conduct. Just, where's the toy, goddammit? Uh, when questioned, Bartolomea denies having sex like you do saying that she loves Benedetta as she does her other sisters. The nuncio talks with Benedetta in private. As she wishes, as she washes his feet, she notices a flea and realizes that he has likely brought the plague into the abbey. Damn, people bringing plagues into the house. Bartolomea is tortured by nuncio's men and finally confesses to her sexual activities and leads the nuncio to the wooden dildo hidden inside a book in Benedetta's chambers. He has Benedetta arrested, but once, she, once more she begins speaking in a man's voice and lashes out at those who persecute her announcing that Nuncio will soon fall ill. The, nun the Nuncio discovers that Felicia Felicita, Jesus, has the plague and orders her condition hidden. Bartolomea is expelled from the Abbey. That day arrives for Benedetta to be executed. Finally, finally, finally. Because Bailey, because Bailey, because Bailey. She first asks to speak to Felicita to beg forgiveness. She tells Felicita that Christina is in heaven. A distraught Felicita asks Benedetta what she has seen of her future. Benedetta whispers something to her. The nuncio is warned that the people of Pesha will not allow Benedetta to be executed, but he proceeds anyway, because of course he does. As Benedetta is led through the crowd, Bartolomea pushes her way to the front and begs forgiveness. Benedetta merely smiles at her and states her she needed to be betrayed. 
In the town square, the nuncio tells Benedetta that he will allow her to be strangled rather than burned at the stake. If she confesses, Benedetta agrees. Benedetta reveals new stigmata in her hands, begins speaking in a male voice, telling the crowd that the angel of death approaches. Felicita emerges from the crowd and doffs her robe, revealing plague sores. The nuncio's men begin burning Benedetta at the stake, because of course they do, but the crowd attacks them, forcing them to flee. Bartolomea unties Benedetta, but discovers a bloody pot shirt at her feet. The nuncio flees for safety, but is attacked and killed by a mob. Benedetta arrives and offers to pray for him. The nuncio asks if she saw whether he will go to heaven or hell. When she tells him he will go to heaven, he accuses her of lying. Bartolomeo hustles Benedetta away. Felicita steps on a pyre meant for Benedetta and is boined to death. In an abandoned stable outside of town, Benedetta, Bartolomeo awake, having spent the night together. Seeing Pesha in the distance, Benedetta begins dressing. Then she has to return. Bartolomea begins her begs her to stay, saying that they can finally be together and they can go anywhere. She tries to get Benedetta to admit just between them that she faked her stigmata, but Benedetta refuses, insisting that the people need her. Benedetta heads off towards Pesha, and a title card reveals that Benedetta lived in the Abbey until her death at the age of 70, and that the plague spared Pesha. Well, isn't that nice? Sean, what did you think of this movie? Well, I take a breath. Well, first off. I'm appalled by the historical accuracy of including Nuncio, but uh, leaving out the crucial rest of the full-blooded Italian apostles. <laughs> Where was Big Vito? Where was he? No Big Vito, no Sally Graziano, no Tracy Smothers. None of them. None of them. No full-blooded Italians at all. These key crucial figures in the in the Catholic Church. I feel like you don't have a lot How to say about this movie. dare you, Verhoeven? I, I, I feel uh, like you don't have a lot to say about this movie, Sean. No, I, <laughs> I, I really don't. Because, look, personally, the whole story is the kind that I would love to go back and read the book sure. that this is loosely based on. I think that would be fascinating. But a couple of big problems with it is, number one, when it comes to period pieces... I sometimes feel like they exist in this world so that film snobs can kind of reduce all audiences to the to these two poles. On the one hand, you have intellectually versed enough to appreciate the the historical references and the con and the context and what have you. And then at the other, the people that the film snobs can look down on, and just invoke, oh, I suppose it's not worth reading if there's not a comic book, if there's not a comic book based on it, or if there's not Jedis and lightsabers every... Yeah, precisely, exactly. Um, and I'm not saying they can't be interesting. I'm not saying there are not good period dramas. I'm just saying that for the most part, when I see one, especially this one, if somebody were to ask me to define Oscar bait, this would be the kind of movie that I would point to. And sure. that, that, that doesn't mean it's bad. It just mm -hmm. means that it's extremely dry. And also at times it's hard to tell really which which element of the story we're supposed to be most concerned about. Is it the lesbian affair? Right. Um, is it the, the crooked ass rules lawyering of the Catholic church? Um, is it, is it, is it questioning whether or not her visions were, were legitimate? 
like 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 what exact like which stakes are we supposed to be kind of most invested in and last but not least and this is something that the movie depending on how you look at it can or can't help mm-hmm. is the problem is the thing the main thing i can't hold against it is the fact that i'm not a french speaker mm-hmm. uh, it's not my first language i it's not my second language that's currently spanish which i'm learning it'll eventually be my third language but the problem with that is is if you're watching a movie like this that's constantly in that tongue you have a hard time fully appreciating the mm-hmm. performances because you're not really attuned to the nuances of the spoken language. It's the same reason why I have a really hard time watching anime mm-hmm. without without a dub is because I I'm not fluent enough in Japanese to to fully enjoy the enjoy the experience what i'm sure is the appropriate native nuance that the actors are adding so it was just it was two plus hours of catholic church bad which i mean take your pick there's any number of stories you tell about let me let me let me throw this at you let me put this in the bed with madonna and see if she sleeps with it yeah go ahead i feel like paul verhoeven couldn't get out of his own way stylistically because again, and I made a joke about it, but let's, let's be serious for just a moment. Paul Verhoeven is, Verhoeven is the guy that does Robocop and total recall. And he's Mm -hmm. not known for his subtlety Mm -hmm. and he clearly has an eye for eye popping visuals. That's the thing we like about Robocop, the squibs blowing up everywhere, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I do feel like Paul Verhoeven um, had a perspective on this. He clearly had an opinion about the Catholic Church. He had an opinion about repressed sexuality, something that we talked a lot about with X. Actually, I just re-listened to that last night on my way mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. You know, there there are people in the film and art industry that definitely have some concerted opinions about sex and how we treat it, how it's treated in the United States versus elsewhere, how it's treated in different institutions, one of which being the Catholic Church, maybe some of the hypocrisies therein. My problem with this film is he couldn't seem to figure out, was he going for shock value? And he, you know, what I'm, what I'm struggling with with this movie is it would go from this really intimate story about a hidden love between these two women, which is kind of sweet. You know, it's, mm. I, I think it's a nicely told story about this affair that happens between these two women. And it's like, we, you know, and, it, and it's a tale as old as time, especially in the queer community about, I have this thing inside of me that I cannot celebrate and share with the world, lest I be uh, persecuted. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking mm-hmm. about so the 17th century, where it would be markedly worse than in modern times. Yeah, yeah. And that, is, that in and of itself is a fine enough story to delve into. And then as a, as a subtext to that, as a secondary thing, you can talk about the hypocrisies in the Catholic Church. Did we need the visions of superhero Jesus cutting people's heads off? I did, feel like that's a distraction. Did, did you did you feel for most of the movie like the love story that we were kind of first duped into thinking mm-hmm. was going to be the, the right. central focus of the movie kind of quickly got shunted aside that's what i'm saying like it, it's almost yeah. like paul verhoeven's like sitting there like like oh we have this wonderful lesbian love story of this talk about repressed sexuality we need to talk about 
you know, what this means in the greater society and should we allow people to celebrate uh, their sexuality and all of that. Fuck, it's been too long since we've had a violent killing scene. Kill everybody! You know, and it's like, what am I watching now? Fuck me. You know what? I just realized what this movie is. What is this movie, Sean Comer? This is French Catholic Scarlet Pumpernickel. Go on. <laughs> Just the end of that cartoon. Oh, the, and then the yes. dam broke. <laughs> 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 and then he said the Calvary, but it was too late. Don't you understand? Okay. I, Is I, that I all? Were... <laughs> it's like you got to kill yourself to sell a screenplay these days. Yeah, now I get you. I wasn't quite sure what you were referring to at first. Yeah, it very much felt like that. Like, like there's a cut of this movie that doesn't have the silly violent scenes in it. Like, like it was enough to see the woman flagellate herself, one woman yeet off the church, you know, <laughs> getting fucked with a toy wooden statue. These are all fine, wonderful things to have in your family entertainment. Did we also need, like, let's cut the heads off a group of bandits? You know, in just in just a short few minutes, we're going to get to a story that's about as lean and tight as TJ Dillashaw coming what? down to flyweight. What if this we movie... pull, what if we pull away from the gay sex with the cowboys and have them just shoot up a <laughs> bank? Yeah. Where whereas on the other hand, this movie is Rampage Jackson trying to fight at heavyweight in Bellator. God, this is the black on black crime of queer cinema, isn't it? <laughs> Just, God, this what? is fucking bloated. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. The runtime. Like, I hate to be the ADHD film guy, but this was too fucking long, man. This didn't. This story of unrequited lesbian love among nuns didn't need to be almost two and a half hours. Fuck me running. Well, but then again, Brokeback Mountain came out at over two hours. And okay, it, that I, earned its runtime. Was I sitting there looking at the clock just going, and... And 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 no, not and not a n d and e n d. Oh, and well, that too. All right. Some and then Benedetta sailed off to go live with the elves. Yeah, then across the Dune Sea. Oh, that's Star Wars. Um, some nice things about Benedetta. I enjoy the cinematography. I, yes. I think it's a nicely look mm. looking film. Nicely looking. Mm-hmm. I think it's a nice looking film. I think the performances were spot on. Again, Paul Verhoeven gets a little silly at times, so some of the violent scenes like are very like Robocop, Robocop-ish. Yeah. Um, it's weird because like thinking that he's also the guy that did Showgirls, and oh, Showgirls is such a poorly acted movie, like that he was able to pull really good performances out of this but i'm I'm also wondering how much of that was, was the performers themselves and not you know what's her nuts from say by the bell elizabeth berkeley yeah that's the one the very same yeah. all right are we done with this one can we put benedetta to bed and see if she sleeps with madonna by all means all righty let's talk about gay cowboys eating pudding my favorite thing the very thing uh, <laughs> do you not like that phrase sean you know what after in trouble? Actually, no, 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 no. You're you're, okay. you're fine. I, I'm rolling my eyes because that was one of the things about this movie. Yeah, we need to talk that about that. Shocked me. Well, that that okay. So we're gonna talk about Brokeback Mountain now, and just real yeah. quick because I don't want to spend too long on this. Um, but it was the gay cowboy movie. Yeah, you know, it was like, oh my god, and like you would be led to believe that from credit to credit, it's just Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger banging like there's no tomorrow just hats in the air like they just don't care it's one fucking scene one 
one scene of hardcore gay tent sex in the last 30 seconds, if that. Let me let me tell you something. A combination I of, felt early, of early 2000s straight culture. Yeah. And what I... And some marketing that really misled me <laughs> truly <laughs> gave me... Text. Truly gave me a false impression of mm-hmm. what this movie would be. And I yeah. was blown away. This now might be one of my favorite movies. This movie is, I mean, look, it, it earns all of its awards that it's won. Absolutely. I think you and I sitting here kind of joining in the cuddle pile saying, it's great. Yeah, no shit. Well, but. and it it let let's and let's let's face it, this is not going to be a stretch to say this. At the Oscars, it got fucking robbed. It, it did, but it, the, without going off on a tangent here, and I really do mean every word of that, without going off on a tangent, does that not speak to the way minority, oh. let's just stick to cinema, minority 100%. cinema is treated to where you have equally good pictures, but one is one is a re- just regular picture. Another one is sort of minority specific. It's, you know, it's a well, specifically I mean, picture, and the Academy like always go always goes with the white one essentially i i sometimes i sometimes think it depends on which minority you're talking about because mm-hmm. let's not forget which movie this lost to i don't remember crash oh that's right I forgot yeah that movie. yeah all right so it, it is worth it to say <laughs> as, as you're pointing out that brokeback mountain is about two men um, th- there is a, a subtext of masculinity about the movie. It kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of the last one that Ronnie and I reviewed that got nominated for all the for all the awards. Um, the one with Doctor Strange, Benedict Cumberbatch, the uh, Netflix movie. Um, Somebody who's one of my producers looked this up uh, for me. <laughs> I'm <laughs> oh, they're all outside like... now. Um, anyway, I, I can I can look it up later, but. That, that was also like another one where it was sort of, you know, using the Western aesthetic to talk about traditional masculinity, toxic masculinity, what have you. So mm-hmm. Brokeback Mountain, before I get into the actual plot synopsis, is really about this relationship between these two guys and, you know, and a willingness or an unwillingness to confront their own hidden sexuality in a world that will reject them. Mm-hmm. Not, ju- not just the, the, the heteronormative world, but the Western world as well, Western culture, mm-hmm. uh, ranch culture, that sort of thing. And, and the struggle. Um, but again, like we were saying, that's not how they sold you this movie. They sold you, like, come watch Jake Gyllenhaal give oh. Heath Ledger the high hard one. It's like, all right. Well, I would, I would go a step further than that. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to try to speak for everyone's impression of the marketing. I'll just give Power you... Power of the name. Dog. Sorry, Power of the Dog. That's the movie. Yeah. Um... The impression I got from the marketing as viewed through a lens that I will acknowledge as an ultra, ultra conservative upbringing mm-hmm. was that I got the impression from the marketing that Jake Gyllenhaal uh, was playing this mm. uh, rather obsessive gay, cow- gay cowboy mm-hmm. um, who was really just harassing this clearly straight man right. and threatening to bring his entire life coming down around him because he just couldn't accept that this man was straight and didn't want him. And again, I won't, I won't begin to speak for everybody else, but I thought that the marketing at times very much made it seem like he was going to be 
some kind of some kind of obsessive mm-hmm. antagonist and yeah. that we were meant to really feel most and explicitly for uh Heath Ledger uh Enos mm-hmm. and his and his wife Alma right. and you mentioned the whole gay cowboys eating pudding thing you know I legitimately have to wonder if Trey Parker and Matt Stone saw the movie at all before right. they made before they made that joke. Because well, it's entirely I, possible they, they did, but we're commentating but commentating on the commentary. Well, but it's like but it's like you said, the actual sex makes up for all of a scant few minutes. Of that, of yeah, of the rest of the rest of the movie, and everything else is this tormented, conflicted right romance, and and really, it's it's not even so much just that you can necessarily even assume that they're both fully gay. Although I'm kind of picking at nits a little bit here, mm-hmm. you get the vibe that either a and they're both equally these are both equally valid that they're both just fully living out this torturous these torturous lies of marriages with their respective spouses or they're both bisexual i want to and just can't quite come to grips with that we're going to get a little ahead of ourselves here but a couple of things um i mean maybe i won't even do the plot synopsis because it's not too, too much to it whatever you decide yeah i i, I kind of want to just talk about the movie uh, people want to read the plot synopsis read we read the wikipedia page like i was about to do but um, it's two ranch hands. They end up she- herding sheep in Brokeback Mountain. They end up having sex in a tent. They go back to their lives. One goes and marries a woman, goes and lives his life and has kids. The other one marry- goes to Texas, marries a rich mm-hmm. rodeo lady. He has his life. They intermittently meet over the years. And this is what I was getting to. Uh, two things. One, the- there's a very famous line that's almost been parodied in culture up to this point. It's the one line everyone knows from this movie. I can't quit you, or like, I why wish can't... I, I wish I I wish I could quit you. Yeah, I wish I could quit you. No, I, it's either I, w- I, th- I think I wish I knew how to quit you. Yeah, yeah. Was the and, and the reason why everyone jumps on that one is because without the context, you think it's like he's just obsessed with him sexually, and that you know, it's like, oh my god, gay sex is the best. He said in a podcast where that will be used out of context later, um, and and. You would think like, oh, like that's why he's saying that. That scene utterly misread and misunderstood by people and taken out of context because what he's talking about is his heart's broken. Okay. Mm -hmm. He has been, Jake Gyllenhaal has been trying to get Heath Ledger over the course of this movie to enter into the relationship that they knowingly have, but keep burying. These two guys are in love with each other. Yeah. And, and, and here's what I wanted to say sort of connected to that. We get so caught up in labels, you know, are we, are you gay? Are you straight? Are you bi? Are you pan? You know, do you tie in a knot? Do you tie in a bow? And, and I, and I often wonder like, cause I, I read a book years and years ago and the movie somewhat speaks to this, you know, it's called on the down low and it was like, I'm straight, but mm-hmm. like the bang guys. Yep. Sure. Yep. I get it. Um, and like that, that inability to reconcile the two things because gay means a very specific thing. And somehow you can reconcile out the actual sex and it's these other things. And so I, I do wonder, like, there's all kinds of love in this world. You know, there's love of your brother, love of your friends, love of your spouse. 
Um, there's the love of people that you have without necessarily having to have physical sex with them, but you love them in every other way. And I looked at mm -hmm. Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal, and it's like, we're so caught up in, are they gay or aren't they? Are they bi? What are they? We have to label them. Like we're dissecting a fucking frog. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why can't they, why can't we just accept that Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger just love each other? They love each other yeah. as brothers. They love each other as men. They love each other as someone who completes the other yin and yang mm -hmm. and just fucking leave it at that. Because then mm -hmm. if you can accept that part of it, you can then move on to the next page of this story is now what does society think about it? You know, when all you want to do is find a you know, to find a love in this world that gets you through your hard day to day, you know, your uphill struggle mm -hmm. and you do, but the world rejects you because it's not the right gender for you. Like that sucks. You know what I mean? It, mm -hmm. And that to me is the real story about Brokeback Mountain, but it's so buried underneath all of this juvenile bullshit. You know, it, so mm. like I'm watching this and I'm like, wow, this is a really powerful love story between these two people and their struggle against a society that rejects any kind of love between, two, you know, two people, of, two men, any kind of love between two men. You can't, you know, mm. none, men. And I've, I've said this when we talked about Father of the Bride, I've been talking about this a lot with Robert Winfrey on various podcasts. The rejection of men and anything other than stoic earners, people who mm -hmm. bring home the bread, any, you know, loving, feeling, caring, emotional, fully developed, four dimensional human beings, utterly rejected, at least in American society. We're not allowed to be that. God forbid you love somebody and you're a man. Mm -hmm. You know, <clears throat> you're anything but a paycheck. Mm -hmm. And then here's this movie that shows these men in all of these vibrant colors and everyone just focuses on like the like the most surface level thing about it. But that's to me what the movie was talking about. It was let's get up and close and personal with these two men and show them in all of their, you know, right down to the cellular level, all of their glory, all of their pains and happiness and struggles. And let's show that relationship over the years. And then you get to like the zenith, the, the Daniel Ma of Jake Gyllenhaal. Just like, I just want to love you and have a life with you. I want to feel complete for the first time in my life. And there's Heath Ledger going, but I can't. I, mm -hmm. and, and it's not even, I can't, like I reject the love of another man. It's, I have like literally bills to pay. I have a life I have to live. I have His stakes are different. Yeah. It, they're yeah. just not in the, which is a very real thing. You know, you have the love of somebody and they have the love of you, but you're not in a place where you can really celebrate it or experience it. And it sucks. And that's, that's what's going on there. And, yeah. and if you ever have that conversation with somebody where you're like, I, oh yeah, you know, but I want to love you. It's like, well, you can't cause you're here and I'm there and we're not on the same page. And that's just reality, pal. Oh, have I ever? Yeah, yes. buddy. Yes, sir. Bob. So I've been talking a lot here. Um, it's such a, mm -hmm. it's such an amazing movie. And I, mm -hmm. like, you'll hear that. It's just like, this, the, the gay cowboy one. Yeah. The gay cowboy one is like, speaks about relationships in a way that I think most movies completely miss the point. And how is it the guy who did the silly Hulk movie can't manage to do that? <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, if anything, I think what it indicates is that Ang Lee is a damn fine filmmaker, mm -hmm. which I mean, no shit. This is also the man <laughs> that gave us crouching tiger, hidden dragon, which is a masterpiece. But you know, in Hollywood so often you're only, you're only as good as the last thing as the last thing you finish. Sure. 
And so at the time, yeah, his stock was really probably yeah, kind in the of the toilet. Yeah. It was it was hitting rock bottom and beginning to dig mm-hmm. because his take on Hulk unabashedly sucked in just about every possible way. It sucks as a comic book movie. Um, as a meditation on anger, it's not bad. And as a celebration yeah, of the comic shame, book maybe. style, yeah. It, it it's kind of like somebody who's never read comic books before yeah. celebrating comic books, but I'm gonna give it to him because at least it was interesting cinematically. And, I don't want to talk about Hulk. Yeah. But what it showed is that, yes, he's an extremely capable filmmaker and a movie like Hulk just, you know, kind of like Mm -hmm. Paul Verhoeven with period dramas or Roland Emmerich trying to tell the story, tell the story of the struggle for gay rights (laughs) is just maybe not the movie he should have made. Right, right, right. Uh, Maybe he just wasn't right for that particular genre. But really, when you sit down and watch it, you come away without <clears throat> with hardly a bad thing to say about it there's not a there's not a poor performance to be found mm-hmm. it is paced virtually perfectly i'm going to um, with the caveat this might not the length and breadth of this movie might not sit well with a lot of people. It's a lot of talking. It's a mm. lot of long. I mean, you, you have to kind of be a film person and have a bit of patience to wade through Brokeback Mountain. If you're like, make what the make what the happening already, this is not the movie for you. But that's True. not the movie's fault. No, that no, that's on the audience to right. go in knowing what you're in for and right. what to and what to expect. Also, if you're um, going into this looking for hot ca- hot cowboy sex, this is also not the movie for you. No. No, yeah. no. Well, weirdly, well, <laughs> well, in fact, the the very the very first mm-hmm. first sex between them mm-hmm. is is so brutal it verges on it verges on a rape. Um, it's, I don't know if I agree with that. I would tell you, it's, that it's, it was, yeah, this may be a bit of an extreme. I, I would tell you that, that it's sort of like bit. the hunter aspect of the BDSM quiz. It was animalistic yeah. it was brutal feral yeah okay feral. You know, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll pull back a little bit and i'll say i will apologize and could, say yeah yes, you can't feral. say rapey because it's that was clearly like. consensual like yeah you know, jake gillenhall all but turned around and put his butt in the air like a dog yeah so, i was just i was just referring to the raw aggression of it but yeah you're right by yeah. by that standard yeah feral mm-hmm. uh, feral and emotional is probably about about yeah. the right way it was like an explosion it, rather, of emotion no right intended. yeah feral explosion of emotion yeah. yeah that's a that's a pretty succinct way to put it right um it's got a nice understated score the scenery is positively gorgeous there's not a shot out of place mm-hmm. um there are no moments i could point to where something really felt awkwardly out of yeah. character out of character. What did you think of Heath Ledger's like guttural accent and voice that he's using? He's kind of doing like a almost like like a mush mouth kind of. I don't know. Oh, I gotta go no. back to my ranch and I can't do with the Alma and the girls. And I was like, I, I thought about that and I thought about his Joker and I'm not one starting to wonder if I know what Heath Ledger's voice sounds like. Uh, he was an Aussie, wasn't he? I, uh, wasn't he Australian? I'm trying to remember what he, sure he sounded was. like in First Night. My point being, um, like, what you think of the, what'd you think of his choice of voices though? Nailed it. You think so? Absolute absolutely nailed it. Um okay. this is this is one more movie 
proving that when he was alive, I didn't give Heath Ledger enough credit. Nobody did. He was too pretty. Not even remotely. You can't be that pretty of a man and be, you know, a good actor. No. No. <laughs> well, it's Tom Cruise. Not. You can get away with it if you're Tom Cruise. Um, Just for the sake of time, my, my last words about Brokeback Mountain, I think it's... I think if you're willing to sit and be patient and not focus on the juvenile sex stuff and just watch a relationship about mm. men experiencing the full range of emotions and trying to break through the veneer of societal expectation mm. and just try to be their genuine selves, it's an awesome movie to watch. But if you're not interested in human beings being emotional, <clears throat> this is not the movie for you. It is a movie that proves that in the early 2000s, there is nothing queer that straight culture was not ready and willing to meme. Yeah. And, no make a, and make a joke out of. All right. And that brings us to our third movie here. The final movie of Pride Month, Sean. <laughs> We're done. Until next year. Until, Until next, next year. year. Did, you, did you see I loaded you up? I loaded you up with all those movies. Yeah, teed it up for me. I did you. I, I, I pitched you and you were catching. I don't know. Um, anyway, <laughs> why do you have to make it weird, Rattled? That's me. <laughs> make it weird as you want. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of weird, Gus Van Sant, known for having directed the vivacious, wonderful, eccentric, esoteric mini driver in um, Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. Oh, poor mini. To this day, breaks my heart. It breaks my heart, Sean Coma. When Matt Damon says, I don't love you, and you see Mini Driver just shatter into a million pieces, I'm still heartbroken about it, although these many years. Poor Mini. I wanted to jump into the screen and rescue her from Matt Damon. Mm -hmm. Legit. All right. Anyway, My Private Idaho from Gus Van Zandt, um, as opposed to Paige Van Zandt. As a 1991 American independent adventure drama film written and directed by Gus Van Sant, loosely based on Shakespeare's Henry IV, Part One, Henry IV, Part Two, and Henry V, uh, Return of the Jedi. The story <laughs> follows two friends, Mike Waters and Scott Favor, played by River Phoenix and Keanu Reeves, respectively, as they embark on a journey of personal discovery that takes them from Portland, Oregon, to Mike's hometown in Idaho, and then to Rome in search of Mike's mother. Hey, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through the plot synopsis of this. I just kind of want to hit upon some things. There's not uh, much. There, there's not much of a cohesive plot to synopsis. Yeah, yeah. It's to sum up. It's a movie about street <laughs> hustlers, and one street hustler stays a street hustler and is sort of wrestling with. He's a, he's he's a, like a gay escort, but he's struggling with can he love another man? Like there's getting paid to blow a dude, and then there's actually loving a person who happens to be the same sex as you and river Phoenix is torn asunder and wrestling with these things. And that's his story. He's also looking for his ma. Then there's Keanu Reeves in quite possibly the best performance of his career. What do you think? If we're talking about, cause I feel like if we're going to say that we should maybe set aside movies like the matrix and John wick kind of aside unto their own in, a, in mm -hmm. a class by themselves. But if we're talking pure acting, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I would say this, I would say this is probably, it's the kind of movie he doesn't get credit enough. He doesn't get enough credit for, for being a superior actor because they're only asking him to do Neo in point. It, it, it's, it's because his style just fits it like a glue. Right. But I mean, but he there's a scene where he's kind of doing like a little sachet, you know, and they're 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 doing a lot of the Shakespeare stuff, and he's so 
bright and vibrant in that performance. And it's so unlike Neo and Point Break and Speed and John Wick. And it's like, huh, when you ask him to stretch and perform and be effervescent, Keanu Reeves is there for you. And he doesn't get the credit for it. See, I would almost I would almost beg to differ okay. in that I think it's more a case that the kind of the kind of cadence mm-hmm. and delivery and persona that this role really called for happened to call just for exactly what is his bread and butter, what he mm-hmm. naturally brings to the table. It's the kind of role that so often when certain actors just shine as one particular as one particular character we go this is the role they were born they were born to play it's it's kind of like how we felt when will smith got to play muhammad ali mm-hmm. um it, it it's just like it, it it's this perfect storm of right story right director right character right actor and it is just chef's kiss from yeah, really start is. to finish. And then you have the late River Phoenix, who is uh, just oh, wow. astounding in this. Like, I always think about performance, and it's so easy to just read lines and show up and be pretty. But the little acting choices are what make, you know, are what mm-hmm. define, like, the Vin Diesels from the Will Smiths or the, or the uh, Tom Cruises of the world, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's little things that River Phoenix does that really gives his character form and definition in this that I was keying into because it's not a whole lot else. Um, it's a weird movie. It's a very mm-hmm. weird movie. Oh, and, yeah. I, and I respect the perspective from Gus Van, Z- uh, Gus Van Zandt. I'm not entirely sure what he's driving at without having to do more research on it and reading. It's kind of one of those I watched it and I'm like, I respect that you had a thing you had to say. I'm not entirely sure anyone understood what it was you were saying. You know, the closest I got to answering that, because I kind Mm -hmm. of briefly wondered the same thing, Mm -hmm. but I came to realize I don't think there was any one specific thing he was trying to say Mm -hmm. so much as he was trying to tell this kind of episodic ode to Henry, mm-hmm. to Henry the Fourth, but he cast it in a setting and with characters that made it such a landmark of queer cinema because it was a story where queer audiences got to look at it and truly see themselves. Maybe not so much a commentary mm-hmm. on the queer community, although you know I, I believe. Yeah, although I believe there's there's certainly shades of very real, a uh, very real kind of remarking on ostracization and the des- and the desperation of gay street kids who have been cast out by their by their families and are I, just I and are just kind were, of embraced doing whatever they need to to survive to get what they can yeah. get when they can. I get wish it. there had been more discourse on them though. I wish I wish if you're going to do a movie about street culture, you know, gay street culture. I wish we got a little bit more of the rejection at home, the su- the suicidal mm-hmm. ideations, the, you know, the reason you take to the street because you live in a world that's rejecting you, that sort of thing. I don't feel like mm-hmm. the movie speaks to it enough. I think we're we're so busy. It's kind of like, did you ever watch the movie Kids? Believe it or not, I've never seen it. I said, Kids no. is very much like a day in the life of like, you know, kids in crisis. 
And it's just like they just mm-hmm. kind of move from like one set piece to the next. That's my problem with my with my own private Idaho. The more I talk about this, is that it doesn't feel particularly cohesive. It doesn't feel like we have a through narrative. It more feels like a series <clears throat> of episodic things that are happening until we reach our conclusion. <clears throat> and 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 I think that's fine. It works in some cases. I don't think it works in every case, and it may not work for everybody. It didn't work for me. I think the closest we get to a through narrative is kind of this parting of the ways mm-hmm. where, and forgive me if I get these, because yeah, I almost got the names wrong right before I said them, uh, where Scott has kind of made his long sought after come up. Yeah. He's kind of risen above the destitute circumstances that everybody else is first forced into mm-hmm. and then just kind of embraces because it becomes it kind of becomes their identity. It becomes woven into their DNA. Yeah. And he's able to step up and leave that all behind and really shuns it, really shuts it out and turns his back on it and kind of first and kind of forsakes his roots in mm-hmm. a very in a very sad way, in a way that you get the feeling he's kind of acknowledged. And then you've got Mike, mm-hmm. who's still in these circumstances, who still has so many unanswered questions, mm-hmm. but it feels like he's accepted. I'm these are still my people. This is right. still my family. Say, the Keanu Reeves creates gayness like it's straight edge. Like, I want to be part of the straight edge punk scene. I want to be part of the yeah. gay street culture scene. Yeah. But when I got to grow up and get a job, I'm mm-hmm. done with you. I'm done with you gays. And that's mm-hmm. the, and I, and I wanted to talk about this before we cease discussion for the evening. Mm-hmm. That scene around the campfire where River Phoenix is talking to Keanu Reeves about could he love another man if he wasn't being paid for it? And he thinks he can. And Keanu Reeves' character is like, but I don't love you like that. That's not what this is. Is heartbreaking. It is a heartbreaking scene. Yeah. And it's the thing that I, I watched this today. Um, and it, it was the one thing about this movie that I truly keyed into that was like emotionally resonant for me. Just that mm-hmm. you bare your soul to somebody and they're like, I, I've actually had that happen where like I've yep. told a girl that I was in love with them. And it's like, I'm glad and I'm flattered, but boy, do I not feel that way about you. And at least they were upfront about it as opposed to like, thanks. You ever get that one? Oh, yeah. I, oh, I yeah. love you. Thanks. Ah! <laughs> Just a shattered in a million pieces. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where it's a scar you keep forever, you know? And that's what's happening in that scene. And I think that's why it kind of reached out and grabbed me. The rest of it was just kind of all over the place and silly. But um, I'll give you the final word here. Uh, if not my private Idaho, then all really this whole experience, Sean, did it for you, babe. Did it for you. This now. Um, I wanted, you know, just like with Black History Month, I really wanted to take a deep dive and look at, you know, films that are often neglected in the national cultural conversation mm. or that are made to be parodied or given mm. lip service to or just made fun of, simply put. Um, I want to focus on it, and I and I don't like to put things on pedestal, so it's always the good, the bad, and the ugly for me. And so we mm. did Stonewall and Basic Instinct, and uh, but I'm a cheerleader. We did Fire Island. We're gonna ignore Master, and then we did these three tonight. And just how did this feel for you? This this examination of a handful of queer cinema. It was invigorating, and it has left me wanting to dive even deeper between now and the next time we talk about a lot of these movies mm-hmm. uh, next year for Pride Month. It makes me want to continue to learn more about my own community, about mm-hmm. the nuances of 
relationships beyond my own. Um, I've, I've kind of seen how big and sometimes tumultuous and churning the sky Mm -hmm. can be. And now I just want to just kind of continue looking in every direction, especially after seeing a movie like Breakback, like Brokeback Mountain, that, you know, I'll I'll admit, you know, I, I identified as as straight back then and I didn't know any better and I hadn't seen it until this afternoon. And now the only thing left that I'm really salty and bitter about is the fact that I waited this long. Um, I loved my, my own private Idaho because things have been, uh, in every sense, so tumultuous lately that I needed something that was at times a little bit lighter, Mm -hmm. um, that, that didn't feel maybe like it was like it was quite so on the nose at times. Yeah. And that, and that certainly satisfied that. Yeah, Benedetta was a little bit of a miss, but you know, in all fairness, I can't fault the movie entirely for that so much as it's just not my thing. Yeah. On Our, so on so many levels. Well, Sean Comer, I wish I could quit you, but I can't. We have one more podcast to do. <laughs> uh we're gonna another triple feature coming up July 17th. We're gonna go one of our mm-hmm. hey. Remember when we started a podcast called Long Road to Ruin based off a Foo Fighters song? Because you're a Foo Fighters fan. Do you remember? Uh, I remember. Well, I'm a member. So we're gonna do we're gonna do a triple feature of the horror movie starring the Foo Fighters, Studio 666. Uh, and then I let Sean pick the other two because I'm not a fucking tyrant. Um, I don't have to pick all the movies all the time, everywhere all at once. Uh, so Studio 666, Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny, and one of yep. my favorites, baby, Detroit <laughs> Rock City. Woo! You and what army? The Kiss Army. Um, so we're gonna do that. Uh, in addition, so that's what's going on with Sean uh, for the next month here in July on the Rattleism Broadcasting Network. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a re-airing of our Minions 2015 review tomorrow. Damn you, Hollywood! We've got another double shot for you: The Black Phone from Scott Derrickson, who directed, I believe, the first Doctor Strange movie, and Elvis from director extraordinaire Baz Luhrmann. Uh, so that's going to be fun. Wednesday, uh, we just have a daytime show. No, nothing at night because I'm going to a speakeasy, Sean. Get really? that. I'm going to a speakeasy. I mean, taken to a speakeasy to watch sexy burlesque dancers. Speakeasy and sexy burlesque dancers. Fuck God my damn. life. Be jealous, motherfucker. Oh, I um, am. Mission accomplished. You are, man. So uh, no podcast because I got to do sexy things, not nerdy things. I've been told. It's what I've been told. It's what they tell me. <laughs> so well, instead, speaking of nerdy things, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna be rev- <laughs> shut up. Uh, we're gonna be reviewing uh, all wrestling, New Japan, open the forbidden door, um, which I'm told was a hell of a show. Yeah, it was it was really good. And then uh, Thursday night, Dave uh, Wright and I will be looking at Lower Deck season two, Star Trek Lower Deck. So that's what we got going on, on the Radlin Broadcasting Network. All right, tell them where you twitch and shout, Sean. Okay, everybody. Uh, Lately, I've been a little quiet on social media just because of how hectic things have been, and I felt the need to kind of go inward. But you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the handle you see right there on your screen, at Comer Codex. 
Uh, my Twitch channel is actually the very same, twitch.tv slash Codex. You can find me Wednesday, Thursday, Friday afternoons, times, sometimes TBD, because I am back in full-time dad mode again. Woo! So things are, yeah, I love it. I'm loving it. Um, so things are sometimes subject to change, but usually I'm going to be on um, probably Wednesdays, probably around four o'clock, Thursday and Friday. Probably expect me sometime around 11 a.m. noon, typically. Uh, the upcoming schedule for that is I am going to be back, baby, back like a vertebrae on the 29th at 4 p.m. That is a Wednesday. Uh, I am going to restart the Messenger um, indie side-scrolling love letter to the classic Ninja Gaiden series. Uh, once we wrap that up, my plan is that I am going to jump into Wolfenstein, the old blood, kill, kind of resume our Nazi slaying shenanigans. I'm going to begin my dive back into the Batman Arkham series with Batman Arkham Asylum once we finish that. And after that, I'm going to take it back to the indies with uh, the charming, side-scrolling, story-driven A Night in the Woods, which I am currently finishing up right now. And uh, one last thing, little update on a future project. Um, I've done it. I have scripted the first four episodes of my new podcast, The 530 Train. Um, I promised I was going to get four episodes scripted by the end of June and I have done it. I've got them roughed out. I'm going to be recording them in July and I expect the podcast to premiere in early August. I will just tell you that our first episode is going to be 30 minutes of me giving you five good reasons why in the year of our holy clusterfuck 2022, it is absolutely not too late for you to sit down and enjoy for the first time. Bioshock, one of my favorite tense environmental horror games ever released on any system. Should be a good time. All right, folks. He's Sean. You're not. Be an ally. Don't be a bully. I'm Mark Radledge. Be well, be safe, and behave.